when since I was a little kid, everyone's always asked me like, what do you want to do with your life? And my answer has pretty much been the same. I've always just wanted to create. I want to create experiences. I want to create worlds. I want to be a creator. Uh, my biggest influences have been people like Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, J.K. Rowling. Not always, you know, in the entertainment field, but a lot of them have been able to affect the world in a positive way through their creative thoughts. That's been the overall trend. And I would like to explore any option that puts me on that path. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblett, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Her Drive Podcast. This is your host, Cindy, and I'm super excited for today's interview and to share the amazing story of Anakai Fairyfish, who is portrayed by uh, Adrian Wilson, who is based out of Hawaii. Um, Anakai Fairyfish is this amazing character that I came across on Instagram and have just been completely obsessed with the photos that are being um, shot out there into the social media sphere. So welcome, Anna Kai. How are you? I'm great. Aloha. How are you? I'm doing quite well. It's currently 11.10 p.m., almost 11.11. Uh, oh, it just turned 11.11 in um, Hilton Head Island in the U.S. And you are currently where? I'm currently in Singapore. It is 11.11 a.m. here. Awesome. That's a lucky number. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you for being on. And it's really cool to see what your character is doing. And I would love if you could kind of share the background on, you know, what it is that you're currently doing and um, what brings you to Singapore. Uh, Well, I perform worldwide as a mermaid and Currently, I'm under a contract with the Singapore Mermaid, uh, doing little birthday parties uh, here and also private events, whatever they need me to do. In Hawaii, I've done shows for hotels. I've been featured um, on a TV show, which didn't get to air, unfortunately. Hopefully, there's going to be other opportunities for that to happen. Um, and I've done interviews, make-a-wish uh, parties private events, all sorts of things. That is so amazing. And I have to tell you, I grew up landlocked in the state of Ohio and there was no beautiful warm water anywhere near me. (laughs) So I'm an equestrian by, you know, youth standards. Did you grow up in Hawaii? And is that how you have grew into becoming a mermaid? Uh, I was born there and I was raised there. When I turned 11, my mom, who is a commander in the U.S. Navy, um, got stationed in Singapore. So I'm actually pretty uh, familiar with the place already. And uh, we've done a lot of traveling since then just because of the nature of her job. But I did not know you were an equestrian, and that is so cool. I love horses. Thanks. Yeah. Um, It was a great way to grow up, and I'm super happy that that's where I was raised, obviously I didn't have a choice. Um, but my passions kind of have led me into the water, not as a mermaid. I don't think that I could ever pull off 
um, being able to wear the tail that you and the mermen wear, but I can dream of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, if you ever want to swim by into the waters of Hawaii, I'm sure uh, we can all help you out. (laughs) Awesome. I may take you up on that. So what island do you live on? I live on Oahu. It's uh, the one that everybody mostly hears about from Waikiki or Pearl Harbor. Of course. Yeah, I visited there. I was supposed to go to the big island and do a 10-day silent meditation, oh gosh, maybe three or four (laughs) years ago. And this is when there was an eruption. um, Oh my gosh. And there was some, some lava. Uh, or that leaked onto, I should say leaked, but I'm sorry, I don't know the proper vocabulary, but it went through where we were supposed <laughs> to camp out in these tents and uh, the meditation retreat was canceled. So I ended up just staying on Oahu, of course, in Waikiki, um, but I got bored with the scene and decided to rent a car and drive all over Oahu for seven days. And it is a beautiful island and I'm dying to come back to Hawaii um, so I can see more of, you know, and there's so many little islands. How many islands are there in total? Uh, there are Oahu. Um, I believe I'm just, I think there's eight, but there's only seven that you can get to. Ah, okay. Okay. Not as many as I thought. Okay, then. <laughs> well, the entire archipelago is like 150, but only, um, the only eight major islands are considered part of the state if that makes sense. Okay, sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's get back into your story because it's so interesting to not only see your photos, but to think of someone being a professional mermaid who is kind of traveling around the world on contracts to to do what you do. So what, what was the genesis of, of you becoming a, a mermaid or at least creating this character? I'm pretty sure the very beginning was, I think, back in 2008 or something. And uh, I was still in school, and I was obsessed with costume design. Um, my dream career was working for LucasArts back then. And around that time, they had actually shut down their studios, and they weren't doing a lot of that anymore. Um, that My passion turned into engineering and uh that's eventually what I went to school for. Um, but I really loved wanting to figure out how those tales were working when I saw them online for the very first mm-hmm. time. Um, I've always been passionate about the environment. I've been in almost every single environmental club I could uh, get to in school. I was a part of a lot of environmental projects. And it just made sense to have this voice of the sea represent the ocean and uh, what we're doing to it and using it as a uh, vehicle for this message. Wow. So it sounds like you have a number of passions, one being a creative side that is um, artistic and and creating something beautiful. And then this very scientific engineering brain of the mechanics, which is so important to the actual design, I would imagine, of the tail. Um, And then the third being um, environmental and having a voice to create change that helps to bring awareness and, um, to what's happening within the the waters of the world, specifically the ocean. So I guess like there had to have been some form of an evolution from, 
you know, seeing or thinking that you wanted to go, you know, work for, for Lucas and then, you know, transforming into figuring out how the tales worked and then eventually finding your voice um, with, is it called C? Yeah, Sea of Change, Students uh, for Environmental Activism. Do you mind walking me through the the timeline as far as when you first wanted to figure out how a Mermaid's Tale worked, then into, I don't know if you created the tale and then put it on, or you know what led you all the way through these different phases to eventually be where you are now? Oh, it was probably a really long journey. A lot of it was more me learning to be more open and, um, uh, I guess, comfortable talking to or performing in front of a large number of people. So I think that was probably my biggest challenge in the entire journey, being able to uh, perform and feel comfortable being looked at in that tale. <laughs> I was very subconscious as a child, and the tale has definitely helped me learn more about myself as a uh, as a performer. Um, so when I first started, I actually had... I contacted a lot of scuba diving companies. I was asking them so many questions about neoprene. And um, at that time, I mean, I grew up as basically a giant nerd. So I traded website design services for um, neoprene and learning about how to use it, how to sew it. And this is back before all of this information, like the Mer Network had just started. If I don't know if you've heard of it, it's an online forum for mermaid and mermen to meet. Um, and uh, there wasn't a lot of information on these mermaid tales at all. So this is the time where everybody was trying to figure out, oh, how do you do that? What's going on? How did this person do this? Um, so... I, yeah, so I contacted a lot of scuba diving companies. I actually had a scuba diving shop gift me like three suitcases full of old neoprene wetsuits, and I was just experimenting with those materials. Um, but eventually, got like a neoprene sleeve made um, out of like duct tape casts and everything, decorated it, painted it, and my very first mermaid swim was in Florida. I'd taken a spring break trip down there. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So obviously you grew up in Hawaii, so you knew how to swim number one, but then dive. You already knew how to free dive. I was scuba certified, but I wasn't free diving yet. Okay. So then when you decided to figure out the tail and that entire mechanism, were you free diving at that point or still using the tank? Uh, actually I was just swimming around and playing. It wasn't meant to be a performer thing at first. It took a while for me to start getting into professional mermaidism. I was always more of a hobby mermaid up until a few years ago. Oh, okay. So if I may ask, at what age did you start to gain interest in the whole, um, mermaid culture and even just as a hobby? Uh, I was still in high school, so I would say 16, 15 or 16. Wow. That's amazing. I feel like only in Hawaii or some Island could, could someone <laughs> really get into that. That's so amazing because when I first started to see, um, kind of the mer culture emerge, uh, I was just seeing people in swimming pools and I thought that was so cool. And I had this friend, um, 
who I don't want to call her spirit animal, but like her spirit creature is a mermaid. And I always thought of her becoming something like that. And I never imagined that it would become a profession or that it was a profession. Um, so you're in high school and you find this as a hobby. And is it in high school that you start messing with the neoprene and, and designing your own tail? It wasn't until I could get to college where I could use a credit card to order materials. Oh, <laughs> I see. Okay. Um, and so how does this hobby end up evolving into kind of it becoming a more professional job? Well, after I left college, I was in, I went to college in New York and upstate New York and I returned back to Hawaii. Um, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, Mermaid Harmony got me in contact with Mermaid Cariel, um, who's an, another I guess, a big figure in the Instagram scene. And uh, she asked me to join her team. And I got a lot of, I guess, my character development from doing that job. Okay. And when you say team, what, what does that exactly mean for those who aren't really familiar with the, the, the culture and how the, the market works? Well, there's a lot of mermaids that just uh, act as a sole entity when they're doing these jobs or this profession. Um, other mermaids tend to do better when they work with others. Um, there's a comadre that occurs. There's a, um, there's, it's easier to get more jobs because you can spread it among everyone and, uh, you can develop strategies or stories or games altogether. It's just in some locations where there's a higher demand for, uh, mermaids than in other places, it works out better. Oh, I see. So this is um, a group that you you contract with, or you have some form of an agreement with, where you perform together. Offer, you know, it's a networking group as well as creating a storyline and a performance. Is that right? Yeah, it's like a troupe. That's amazing. And then, do you all work together to coordinate outfits? Who decides what you wear, or do you just wear whatever it is that um, each individual mer person? has as far as um, their own individual character? We all have our own individual character and we all focus on something very specific. So my character, Anakai Fairyfish, definitely focuses a lot on the environment. Uh, Cariel focuses a lot on self-esteem and confidence in kids. And uh, my coworker, Malia, Mermaid Malia, she does um, a lot of Hawaiian and cultural appreciation. Um, other mermaids from the team have done other like projects or essences that have fit themes. Um, but a lot of the times we're told like what, what is expected of us before we show up. Oh, okay. So whomever's booking you, they want a specific type of theme. Has there ever been a, a request that you weren't necessarily comfortable with um, doing? Not for me personally. I think I've been very lucky in that. I have heard horror stories from other mermaids. Um, there was a very upsetting one where one mermaid was told that uh, she didn't want, or the, the person who was requesting only wanted to rent her tail out and not her as a performer because she was black. And that was very upsetting for the community. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's horrible. I mean, it's just one of those stories that keeps coming back when people talk about 
or as when we as performers discuss like what the new direction is as performing as a whole. Of course. And for you personally, what have been some roadblocks or challenges that you've experienced over the, the, the time that you've become a professional performer? Uh, well, every mermaid and merman who's out there doing this professionally has a different goal in mind when they're doing this. And a lot of times if I feel very personally, um, that sometimes those messages get mixed up and it's not a bad thing. It's just something that happens. So other mermaids who may have already left an impression on a client or person that has seen them might have an idea on what we do as a professional uh, performer and then ask that of us that we don't offer or we don't do. For example, um, I do a lot of environmental talks. I do a lot of workshops with kids and somebody might just think, Oh, we just sit there and look pretty for photo shoots, which is what we do for marketing. I mean, that's how we get our name out. That's how we get our messages out, but that's not all of what we do. And then correcting that misconception can sometimes take a lot longer than what I would like. <laughs> so do you think that your major mis- the major misconception is just sitting there and looking pretty and being in the water looking pretty? I actually think the the misconception is just people don't know what we're trying to do or what we are doing. <laughs> I mean, for a lot of us, where the where the real meat of the money comes from is being glorified babysitters, where we're doing birthday performances and um, entertainment, which is really fun. It's awesome to connect with the kids, uh, and it is the general way that people make money doing this profession. I like that a lot. I like that that's what you said. Because um, I feel like with any job, any career, any perform performance, anything that somebody is passionate about, there's always a deeper, richer meaning. So you talk about you know the meat of your industry and how most people make their living as a mermaid or a merman, but you clearly have a very strong passion regarding the environment. So how are you, you know, bringing that to the forefront if and when you can. I have some big projects lined up that I'd like to work on. I'm still working on the moving mechanics, but um, I do have a history of creating really big events. So one of my big projects when I was in university was creating this um, eco princess festival. Uh, My school has a very infamous uh, reputation of being mostly all boys, especially um, in a tech school. So I created this festival uh, where fairy tales were used to convince, or not convince, but to help encourage girls to be interested in the STEM fields and in the environment. So we never said it wasn't okay for guys to come in. We were very welcoming to any, any boy who wanted to participate. And we made the activities pretty gender neutral to a point where uh, many boys who did come also enjoyed the event. Um, but basically I had a lot of my friends dressed up as princess characters and we came up with these puzzle games and activities where the kids had to help the princesses, um, fix environmental problems around the enchanted forest. Oh, wow. Uh, using, it was so much fun. We had like 200 people come <laughs> the first year. That's amazing. 
Uh, I was dead tired and didn't really get to see that much of it. I was just running behind the scenes. But ever since then, my college has actually uh, repeated the event uh, since I've left. So that was really cool. That's a little legacy that I was able to leave behind. And I sort of want to use those same ideas and uh, make it in a more digital and uh, welcoming way for anybody that's not just there in person to enjoy. So I've been doing a lot of work on a video game project, but I don't really want to say too much about it just yet. Okay, well, we'll definitely um, link everybody to um, to you so they can follow you. And then when you are ready to release more on that specific project, they can certainly follow it. That sounds <laughs> really awesome. Thank yeah. you. It's my, it's like the whole nerd part and then the fantasy part and creative part are all coming together into one project. So I'm pretty excited about it. I think that's amazing because you're, you're marrying all these passions together. And I think that's the ultimate dream for most of us. And, uh, I mean, I think it's great. And I applaud you. I do have a question though about, um, you know, princesses and fairy tales because, you know, culture is changing and, uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Disney, but lately I've been super proud of Disney and how they've, in my opinion, transformed kind of the princess characters to not being rescued by Prince Charming, but being able to, you know, stand on their own two feet and actually portray women and and young women in the light that they should be. Um, so what are your opinions on, I guess, just fairy tales and princess stories and how they can be used to enhance, I don't want to say just women, but enhance the, the human condition in general. Oh, I definitely think Disney has had a giant effect on a lot of women's self-esteem over the years. Um, I do agree with you. I love the direction that they're taking with this new generation and their, all this new media that they're putting out and all these new stories are going with. Um, I definitely think for a child it's and this sort of also goes in with how I feel a lot of other nonprofits teach kids when they do outreach um a lot of Disney's doing it the right way where they're not just trying to shove certain ideologies down the kids throats and make them believe like brainwash them or anything like that I believe what Disney's trying to do and also what I try to do in my projects is to just create a generally positive experience about a certain idea Um, Because a child's not going to be able to really say like, oh, you know, every hour this many plastic pieces have entered the ocean. Right. It doesn't rationalize that in their minds or right. Right. But I feel like a lot of a lot of nonprofits try to use that approach and it's just not fun for the kids. So with what Disney's doing and what I attempted to do was just to create a positive association with these environmental ideas so that when the kid is older and is able to rationalize, they might have these uh, experiences to fall back on and be like, you know, I really have this connection to the environment, especially even for the kids I was working with that was landlocked and had never seen the ocean before. Um, and it's sort of also just giving the kids the the power in their hands to make that choice. I don't want to, I mean, even though I would love for everybody to be environmentally friendly, environmentally conscious all the time, I want to be able to still say, you know, these are the facts, make your own decision. I think that's healthier for everybody. Oh, I, I agree with you. And I think, 
that I'm not a mother, but if I were a mother, I would love my child's birthday party or performer or whomever to to take that pr- approach as, as well. Um, so I guess I, I leading back into um, your character and Akai, what what um, what do you say? to groups when you're speaking with them, whether it's a group of children or adults or, uh, you know, professionals, what's your, your general approach for talking about the environment? A lot of it is I ask the kids how they feel about a certain subject. So one of the photos that, uh, Cariel has in her storybook, um, the brave mermaid is she's hanging out with this turtle um, not harassing it, not touching it in any way, but this turtle only has three um, fins because it lost one in a fishing accident. Mm. Um, and so I asked the kids, like, how do they feel about, like, well, what do you think might have caused that accident? You know, I'm let, I let the kids explore the idea themselves, and I'm there to answer any of their questions. As a figure that is not, I wouldn't say um, motherly, but as their peer. Um, and that way I feel like they're a little bit more open with exploring that in front of me that where there's no right or wrong, I'm just listening to them. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a great approach. And what is the, the general feedback that you get from the children? You know, it's interesting because in different places where I perform, children have reacted to me differently. Um, in Singapore, the culture that these kids grow up in is very academic based, very um, structured. And so a lot of the kids that I've worked with or you know, performed with in front of here have been very against the idea of me at the very beginning of a party. And at the end of the party, after I've already let them say, hey, you have a voice too, um, they don't want to leave me. That's amazing. So <laughs> I, I have... Um... I don't want to continue to make you talk about these parties, but I just feel like they're so fascinating. <laughs> so when, when you're there, I mean, are you always with water or do they, I would imagine there has to be a water component to every event or am I wrong in this assumption? I have done dry events. Uh, so what, what I normally do is I have this giant inflatable shell that I can sit in. If it's just, uh, like I've done one in several conventions or, um, big events where it's just basically like a big photo booth and people can come up to me as if I was Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> You're better than Santa Claus. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I've also do story time with them. Um, I do question and answers. So there's creative ways where you can incorporate uh, the mermaid theme without having it to be in the water. But I definitely feel like kids are a lot more, um, willing to dive into the whole imagination play when they're in the water and they can experience that environment for themselves. That's so fascinating and amazing. And if I saw you in like a giant <laughs> shell somewhere, I would be so ecstatic. I, you would see me turn into my five-year-old self. <laughs> oh my gosh. How amazing. Well, um, I know that folks would love to know, um, if you're designing your costume or is it, do you call it a costume or what do you call it? We just call them tails. (laughs) Okay. So are you still designing your own tails or do you, uh, do you kind of farm that out? 
You know, I took a break from the tail construction, and uh, I don't, I have not used any of the tails I've personally made in any shows in a while, mostly because I outgrew them. Um, <laughs> uh, but I am, I have been planning to start making them for myself. I don't think I'll ever make them for other people at all. Like a lot of, even though I do know a lot of very talented artists that do make them for other people. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Cause just like looking at your Instagram profile, they're so beautiful. Um, Thank both you. In the water and on land. And it's just, they're so stunning and I can't wait for people to, to check out your, your Instagram, which is Anakai Fairfish. <laughs> it's so, so amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I, I guess it leads me to my next question. And I always get this question cause I travel all over the world and I have, I have decent pictures. They're not like yours. Yours are so breathtaking. Um, but who's taking your photos? It's actually a group effort, I guess. Whoever that I can find that will have a camera nearby. Um, the trips, the photos I took from my recent trip to Bali, Indonesia are just from a GoPro. Um, and they're just from stills that I take from the video. So it's really a testament to the environment that I, th I think the photos look that way. I do work with talented local photographers as um, a trade uh, thing where, you know, they can use my photos as part of their portfolio. And I also showcase their work on my page. Um, and there's a very good, strong local community for that in Hawaii. Um, as also just friends who are exploring the photography hobby and profession that I've been able to kidnap and uh, <laughs> ask to be experimented on. <laughs> well, it's, it's working very, very well. These are beautiful photos. I'm looking at them now. Like I'm doing some major scrolling. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, so how did you come up with your character name? What does it mean? It's actually, you know, Anakai Fairyfish is actually a name I've uh, been thinking of changing because it's just so difficult for kids who are not from Hawaii to say it correctly. Um, but I wanted a name, and this is totally honest, I wanted a name that sounded like Anakin Skywalker because I just really liked that <laughs> name. That's great. I love the honesty. <laughs> my uncle had issues uh he's not he doesn't speak english at all and i was trying to explain to him what i was doing at the very beginning of this and his words in english when he was trying to talk back to me about like what how i was trying to explain to him was so it's a fairy fish and that's how i got that part oh and then enna kai isn't a real hawaiian word but it does take influence from two separate hawaiian words one that is pronounced a little differently than the way i use it um, where it means glowing sea, where uh, just because, well, it also just means like fiery sea. Um, my favorite part of any ocean wave is the sea spray. So that's part of it. So it's just like a huge mix of different aspects that I liked of everything. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. So you're, it seems like you're traveling quite a bit. Do you ever get burned out? Uh, I actually don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. There have been times where I'm like, okay, I think I can stay here for a little bit. And then the following, I'm just like, I got to get out of here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just, I think that's just the, the, the natural travel. So you don't feel, you've never felt really at any moment that you're kind of burned out on being a mermaid or maybe it's just temporary. 
I think for where I'm at right now, it's always been temporary. I, I do think it's possible in the future where I might say, hey, I need to take a break, but I haven't reached that point yet. Okay. And as far as with what you're doing, like what makes for a successful mermaid? True passion and understanding that you're always going to have to push yourself to challenge yourself. There's a lot of people who, I mean, I hate to bring this up again, but I'm, children's party entertainers, clowns, um, face painters, they're not, a lot of those people are incredibly skilled. It's not just showing up and being able to do it. A lot of those people have taken seminars. They've really studied their craft. The ones that you hire, like spend money on, they're, they're worth the money. And what I see with mermaiding is a lot of people think it's an easy job and they're not really thinking of every single component that goes into it. Um, not everybody can sit in front of 24 year olds and uh, be able to entertain them and keep that attention for a whole hour, hour and a half. Um, and that's just the performing part of it. What about when you have a performance for adults? What if you have a performance for an event where the, you need to show your freediving ability? There's all these little aspects of it. And some people just concentrate on one. A lot, a lot of people try to do it all. It's it's a really cool medium and industry that's still developing and still finding its place in its world. And it's very exciting to explore, but there's a lot of issues that people need to consider when they want to do this type of thing. Safety, ability. Um, yeah, it's just complicated. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, anything that you learn uh, or try to learn, there's so much more to it than what the surface shows you. Um so thank you for sharing that. I guess when you said safety is a concern, have you ever had a risky moment or a scary moment? Um, there have been times where a lot of parents or children have, I guess, embellished their swimming ability. And that's the scariest part of me. Uh, I'm an entertainer, not a lifeguard. There are people that do both. And I think that's a very good thing. I think mermaids should be certified in safety courses and everything. If you're going to do that water component or have somebody nearby that is certified as safety first. Absolutely. Um, but now it's a lot of, you know, you learn from the past. Uh, I've never had anything super drastic happen to me, but I always ask more than once. And I repeat myself, Hey, are you comfortable? How do you feel right now? Um, if you need anything, I will, you know, I'll be watching the way you swim. And a lot of times I change the way that my party structure works based off of the kid's ability. So I think it's a very good thing to have many different plans all at once, uh, backup plans, just being able to be really flexible and still be entertaining in each of those levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there have been kids that, you know, especially in a large party, not every single kid is going to know how to swim. Not every single kid even comes with goggles. So it's it's just a lot of push and pull where you figure out, okay, well, this group, this is what I need to do. Of course. And you have to maneuver and, and have set not only expectations for yourself, for the client, so they know how to be prepared. And anytime you're working with um, humans, it can be quite complicated. <laughs> and then you add in what you're doing, which is a bit dangerous, in my opinion, um, if you're in the water. 
um, even though you're a professional, uh, you know, what if one of the kids grabs you and they're not a strong swimmer? Right. That keeps breathing. I've never had any issue with a kid grabbing onto me. Um, I've had a lot of kids do that. Luckily, you know, my tail is, is uh, very powerful. I can tread water much easier than somebody with two legs doing it. It doesn't take me as much effort because I have that giant surface area at the bottom. So I've been mm-hmm. able to keep afloat a bunch of kids at once that need it. But I also never take them to the deep end. I don't do parties in the deep end unless the kids are a lot older. Um, and I always have kids near a wall. I don't put them in situations where they're uncomfortable or what I deem is, uh, unsafe. And I'm, I'm very much more overly cautious than I think, um, what is necessary. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, you know yourself. So with that being said, like, what is the most challenging, thing, whether it is for Anakai fairy fish or for, um, any of your environmental, um, focuses or any projects that you're working on, like what's, what's challenging you right now? Uh, well with the video game, I'm just, it's a lot of more of the technical aspects. That's more than anything, but as a performer and as a mermaid, a lot of it is, the industry is still very young, and so it's it's very difficult to explore new territories that other mermaids haven't done yet. It's a lot easier when somebody else has done that struggle for you. Um, but when you're doing it yourself, it's it's just sometimes it can be very frustrating because you're being told no all the time, and you have to learn that it's not a personal rejection. It's a rejection based off of these standards, and the only positive mindset you can have is, well, am I able to control those factors or not? So there's a lot of development, and it's also just like being able to deal with things that are not that you don't you, you don't really get to foresee or really get to hear about that you need to prepare sure you're forging a whole new path and i mean with that what do you think lies ahead for mermaids and mermen i have no idea there have been ideas that other mermaids and mermen have come up with and at the time, I'd be like, oh, man, that's never going to work. That's that's a dumb idea. And it works brilliantly. And then I'm, of course, you know, crowded to <laughs> humility and embarrassment. I'm like, okay, okay, you guys you guys did it. I try to be super supportive as much as I can of um, other people. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough. It's still something I'm trying to practice. But I do, I do think it's a good thing when other people are interested and show interest in doing it. So what is what is something that you would that you had thought of or thought that was kind of crazy or impossible? Are you talking about like a specific type of performance or perhaps a dive somewhere? Uh, I don't want to be too specific about that okay. inc- that super that incident just because I'm still embarrassed about it. Okay, but there have been um, like different types of parties that people have thought of doing, and uh, I didn't think it would be very engaging. Or ah, and it, and I turn out, yeah. Okay, all right, that's fair enough. For someone who may become interested in be- making this a hobby, or just you know, I don't know if they can get lessons or anyone who say I want to become a, a mermaid amateur. How does a person begin? You know, kids ask me that all the time, and my answer has always been: you need to love the ocean. 
you need to learn about what makes a mermaid a mermaid. What makes you the mermaid? You know, really look into your motivations, really look into what your goals are through mermaiding. A lot of really young girls who, you know, are, are near that age where they're about to enter the, the bigger world really want to do it because they're, they think that that's what's going to make them successful through Instagram, through modeling, anything like that. I get that a lot where I'm asked, how do I become you where I get this many followers? And I really tell them, you know, I really want them to explore. It's not just that it's not just the superficialness of what makes you want to achieve it. And I think it's fine if somebody says, well, I want to get that attention. Um, In that case, I would, tell them, okay, well, you want to get attention for these reasons. What is a way that you can do that that's healthy? Okay. And do you think that, I'm sure this happens, but many people as as young humans are not always super evolved and the superficial kind of rolls out. So do you think that, I don't even know if this would apply to you, but do you think that it's possible for a person to get into uh, mermaiding for the superficial reasons and then to truly fall in love with the ocean and to find their purpose, to find their voice and then uh, launch that themselves via the platform that they've created. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. That's the, that's a little other reason why I'm okay with girls. Um, it's, it's mostly being girls for me personally that have asked me to do that. Um, and it's not like for me to judge anyway, but I, I do think that, exploring something out of their comfort zone is a fantastic way for personal development to happen. It, um, I mean, it's, it's something that they have to figure out for themselves, right? Everybody's on a different journey at different times, a different point of their lives. Um, and I'm, who am I to say like, Hey, no, I don't think you're okay to do this. Of course. I feel like in, in some form, you're kind of like a social entrepreneur with this environmental component, but what is it that you're you're really looking forward to, and and what do you see yourself doing five years from now? What's your dream? Um, you know, every when since I was a little kid, everyone's always asked me like, "What do you want to do with your life?" and my answer has pretty much been the same. I've always just wanted to create. I want to create experiences. I want to create worlds. I want to be a creator. Uh, my biggest influences have been people like. Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, J.K. Rowling, Um, not always, you know, in the entertainment field, but a lot of them have been able to affect the world in a positive way through their creative thoughts. That's been the overall trend. And I would like to explore any option that puts me on that path. So I'm very open to learning new skills and discovering what exactly I can bring to the table. Mermaiding is just one wheel on the car using your uh, vehicle metaphor again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I think that you're a very dynamic person and what I love about you is that you are really, like you said, you're open uh, to what life brings you, but you also seem like a very hard worker and someone who's dedicated to creation. You've proven that already. Um, so I really applaud what you have done and what you're doing now and what you are going to be doing in the future. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. 
I want to talk a little bit more about the ocean. So if you could leave us with you know, kind of one thought about the ocean or the waters of the world, what would you like, like us to know? With anything with the environment, I really think people can take time out of their day to really research just one topic. It's, it's so much more than just, uh, you know, switch to plastic bags or switch to plastic straws. I really think people should learn to internalize these issues as to exactly why these things are happening. And once people have a better understanding of it, a better um, com- comprehension, then that's when real change happens. It's not just people telling other people what to do. That's never going to really work too well. Um, so when it comes to the ocean, there's so many issues that a lot of people aren't aware of just because it's an international domain. There's not a lot of information about it, and we don't really get to see it from where we are on land. Uh, with ocean issues and ocean creature issues, I really believe that they're the ones that are voiceless. They're the ones without anybody really speaking up for them, um, especially for people who don't really get a chance to connect with them. So my biggest, my biggest ever advice would just be like, Hey, just, you know, pick up an article just read one Wikipedia article about one problem. Just learn about one thing. Right. And you know, you can't think it's a shame if you don't, you don't know, you don't know, but there are so many ways to learn. Um, and you know, you brought up the, the straw, um, issue. And that's something that I've been working on is rejecting the use of straws. And tonight at where I had dinner here at Hilson head, I was so excited at this restaurant. They had had, um, metal straws. I mean, they're metal. They said they used to have paper, but at least yeah. the metal they're, um, they'll wash them. So yeah. at least it's nice to see that effort being made. Um, and then also right now the loggerhead turtles, Mm-hmm. Um, are coming ashore to to lay their eggs and you know they have to turn the lights off here so there's so many different ways out there to learn and I appreciate you you know sharing your comments on it um, because the ocean is a, a beautiful place this world that we live on is so magnificent in a, a whole host of ways and we should protect protect it and make better of it um, as we can yes absolutely Hopefully the future is not too bleak. I think there's a lot of very passionate people doing very good work out there. So it's just uh, once they have more of the general population support, I think we can make really wonderful things happen. 100%. Well, thank you so very much. Um, I desperately want to see you um, (laughs) at a performance very soon. And I'm probably just going to come to Hawaii when you get back for a personal lesson with you. But thank you. (laughs) So, so much for taking the time uh, to tell your story and to share one of your many passions with us. And if you could, you know, let everyone know where they can find you, that would be phenomenal. Awesome. Well, I just want to say really quickly, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I'm very honored and I'm looking forward to getting coffee with you in Hawaii. Um, Where people can find me, I have a Facebook and an Instagram. I am progressing to start a YouTube channel, but it's not there yet. So if you want any updates from me, 
Instagram and Facebook is where to go for right now. And my name is Anakai Fairyfish, E-N-A-K-A-I-F-A-I-R-Y-F-I-S-H. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anakai. I'm really grateful for this time with you. I hope that you have a beautiful Sunday in Singapore. (laughs) And I hope you have a wonderful night's rest. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramblett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.